You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at day3church.com. And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com. Happy Easter. You ever thought much about that term? I mean, why do we call it Happy Easter? We say Merry Christmas. And for me, the thought of Christmas being merry is because God cared enough to send His Son. That's why we say Merry Christmas. So why should we say Happy Easter? I mean, is Easter happy because of rabbits? Or baskets with candy? Or brightly colored clothing? Why should Easter really be happy? Now, once again, if all the other stuff does it for you, uh, I'm sorry, you can't be wrong. I'll tell you why it's happy for me. And why it should be happy for you. Easter ought to be happy because it's the rest of the story of Christmas. Easter ought to be happy because that baby that came at Christmas time grows up, God in the flesh, goes to a cross, even though he was completely innocent, sheds his blood as payment for my sin and for your sin. Now, that ought to make you happy. See, the gospel really means good news, and and it's not good news just that Jesus died and was buried and He was risen again. The reason why the gospel is good news is this. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And then to prove that He had done everything that needed to take place in order for us to have everlasting life, for us to be forgiven, to know that He was who He claimed to be, He took His life back up on the third day. That's why Easter ought to be happy. So is it? Is it happy for you? I mean, honestly... How was your trip this morning as you made your way to church? What did you have on your mind? What was your focus about? As you were coming to church this morning on Easter Sunday. Did you come really pumped up and thinking to yourself, I just can't wait to get there. Did you come with a sense of anticipation? Or maybe this morning as you made your way to church for Easter Sunday, maybe you were coming here with a little bit of regret. Because you realized this past week there might have been some attitudes or some actions in your life that you're really not happy with and you're pretty sure God's not happy with. So as you were making your way to church this morning, were you really coming happy or were some things like that bothering you? See, Easter ought to be a celebration for us. 
We're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus took His life back up. So as you were coming to church this morning, was that the Spirit that was in your heart? Were you coming to church with the idea of, I want to get to church and I want to celebrate because of what Jesus has done for me? Did you come happy this morning? Did you come this morning with the thought of the resurrection upon your mind? Did you come with the thought of what Jesus did for you on the cross did you come today ready to celebrate because you know without any doubt that you know him and because of him and what he's done you're going to go to heaven one day did you come today with that type of attitude as you journeyed here today did you journey here with a special anticipation see because that's pretty much what we're going to talk about today We've been in a two-month series that we call Before and After. Last month, we were on the front side of the cross before, and we were following Jesus on the way to the cross. Now, this month, we're on the other side of the cross. We're on the side of the cross where we understand Jesus said it is finished and He meant what He said. He paid everything that needed to be done for you and I to have everlasting life. We're on the other side of not just the cross, but we're on the other side of Jesus doing exactly what He said He would do, and that was to take His life back up. So now, this month, we're in the after part of this series. And what we're going to do this morning is this. We're going to be in John chapter 20, and I hope you brought your Bible. If not, shame on you. If you did forget to bring it, we will have the words on the screen for you but remember bring your bibles that's what we're talking out of and we're going to look at some people that made a trip to the tomb of jesus on that first easter sunday on that first resurrection sunday and as we look at how the resurrection impacts their lives I want us to see maybe some ways today our lives ought to be impacted. And that's pretty much what we're going to do all this month, is look at the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection, and see how our lives ought to be impacted in similar ways as were His disciples right after it happened. We're just going to take a trip to the tomb and see how it impacted their lives. And let's see how it ought to impact our lives this morning. Inside the thing we give you, we call updates. Uh, there's a fill-in-the-blank guide if you want to you know, take some notes as we go. Uh, that would be you know, cool to do. might help you uh, remember some things. It always helps me remember to read and write down uh, also. But here's our first point today. Here's the first thing we're going to talk about this morning. The trip to the empty tomb. We're going to go on a trip to the tomb. We're going to see some things at the tomb. And we're going to take a trip away from the tomb this morning. It's more or less what we're doing. The trip to the empty tomb. And as we consider that, I want you to ask yourself again the questions that I posed a moment ago because I'm going to revisit some of those in just a few minutes. But I want you to be asking yourself, how was your trip? Because there were some disciples, some people that made a trip to the tomb, and I want you to maybe evaluate how your trip is as you made it this way on this Easter Sunday. 
Look what the Bible says here. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 4, the Bible tells us early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, I'm going I'm to back up a second. I might forget to say this earlier, and that just blows me away every time I read it. The other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, that's the way John referred to himself. Man, isn't that a great identity? <laughs> isn't that a way we ought to view ourselves if we know Christ? If you want your identity to be tied up in something, here it is. Jesus loves you. And see, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. As John tells us this story, he first of all lets us in on the fact that Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. Now the other gospel accounts let us know she wasn't by herself. There were some other women with her. They were going there for the reason of better preparing the body of Jesus for His burial. They're going there with spices and, and things. And she arrives there and sees that this stone has been rolled away. The fact that she's getting up early in the morning and she's going to go to the trouble of going to a tomb, a grave, and go inside and deal with a dead body, helping to prepare it more for burial, lets us know a little bit about the heart of Mary. It lets us know a whole lot about her focus, about her evident love for Jesus. And she should have really loved Jesus because the Bible tells us this about Mary Magdalene. It tells us that she had seven demons cast out of her. Look what the Bible tells us about that, this next passage of Scripture in Luke. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve, talking about the disciples, were with him, and also some other women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Now stop there just for a moment. Now if someone's got seven demons in them, I'm assuming they're pretty messed up. You? Huh? That sound like it to you? And when you factor this in, the biblical number that a lot of theologians look at, Bible scholars and everything, they look at number seven as being the number of completion or the number of perfection. So we might could say that Mary was perfectly screwed up. I mean, she was completely messed up. And you see, you know, that might sound funny and we can laugh at it, but the truth is, without Jesus, I'm completely and perfectly messed up and so are you. Without Jesus, I don't have any hope. I'm not going to waltz into heaven one day because I pastor the church and I preach sermons. The only reason I will ever get into heaven is because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, and I have faith in Him, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's the only reason you'll get to heaven, because you have faith in Jesus, plus nothing, minus nothing. So you and I are like Mary. We, we are totally, fully, completely messed up without Jesus. And the Bible tells us 
that she is following Jesus. Sounds like a good thing to do to me. Sounds like something worthwhile for us to invest our time in. She's following Jesus, which also bears evidence of her love for Him, her dedication to Him. And then when we keep on reading, it lets us know that Mary, along with some other women who were following Jesus, it tells us this. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. In other words, they loved Jesus enough because of what Jesus had done for them that they were even willing to give. Now, there's a couple of pretty good signs there of someone that loves Jesus and someone that's an authentic Christian. One, you are following Jesus. That's what she's doing. Number two, you care enough about what He's done for you to actually give to help support ministry and things like that. They were helping support Jesus and the disciples as they're traveling around doing ministry. They're showing how much they care by giving. I've got you worried now, don't you? Oh, it's Easter, and He's going to talk to us about tithing. No, I'm not. I'm just giving you a fact. She loved Jesus. She followed Jesus, and she was given. So she arrives there early in the morning. The tombs rolled open. The stones completely out of the way. Not so Jesus can get out, by the way. Because later on, and we'll see that in a message this month, later on, all the disciples are gathered together for fear of the Jews. They've got the doors locked, the windows locked, and everything else because they're afraid someone's going to come after them and put them on a cross. And then Jesus just all of a sudden appears. God, Jesus doesn't need someone to open a door for him or roll a stone out of the way. That stone was out of the way to let her know and the disciples know that he was risen. And she comes and she jumps to the wrong conclusion. Have you ever done that before? Even doctrinally, theologically? She goes and she jumps to the wrong conclusion. Somebody stole him. And so she runs and she tells Simon Peter and John, the other disciple who Jesus loved. Man, I love that title. Good title to give yourself. So the next group we see after Mary makes her way on this trip to the tomb is there two other people that make a trip there on that first Easter morning. Simon Peter and John. The Bible told us this. The Bible tells us that they were actually running there. Verse 3 in verse 4 said this, So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I mean, they're running there. They want to get there. They are running to an empty tomb. I want to make a suggestion really quick today. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to run to an empty tomb this morning. That's something we ought to do even after we know Christ as our Savior, we ought to be reminding ourselves, running to an empty tomb all the time, that He is who He claimed to be, and He did exactly what He said He would do. So they come running to the tomb, and the Bible tells us that John made it there first. Now why? Because, you see, I, I'm the kind of person I like to ask questions like that. Why? Now, there are several suggestions that have been made in the past by Bible scholars, and I want to give a few of those to you uh, right now. One suggestion is this. Some people say, well, maybe John was younger. 
And that, you know, might could be a possibility. Maybe he was younger. So since he was younger, he could run faster. But that's not always the case because I've actually outran some younger people before in my life. Now, I've been too many years that my oldest daughter and my youngest daughter, Bethany and Jessica, both kind of challenged me. You know, they thought, well, Dad's, you know, a little bit older now, lost a step. And I blew their doors. I might not can do it today, but I did it then. And I can't run as far as some of you do that run long distance. I was like 100 yards hard as I can, then I'm done, okay? But it was 100 yards fast. So maybe that's why. Maybe he was just younger. Here's another possibility. Just maybe John was a better athlete. I mean, he had faster feet, faster legs, whatever the case is. He was just a better athlete. So that's why he beat him there. Here's another possibility. Maybe he was more excited. i got to get there and find out what happened. Maybe that's what it was. Here's one I want to throw out to you that I suggest might really be the cause. Just maybe John was less guilty feeling than Peter. Because Peter had real boldly. I mean, Peter's the kind of person I can identify with. Stick your foot in your mouth. He had real boldly said, I don't care what anyone else does. I will never, ever deny you. Check out what happened here. A little bit of background to Peter and a little bit of background to John. Look at the next scripture. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, referring to Jesus himself, and the sheep, referring to the disciples, of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied this, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus looked at him and said, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Jesus declared, he's arguing with God. He's arguing with Jesus, God in the flesh. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And look at all the peer pressure taking place. And all the other disciples said the same thing. I will never ever do this. But you read the rest of the story and you find out when they come and they arrest Jesus, that very night Peter does exactly what Jesus said and he denies that he even knows Jesus and he even curses about it trying to convince them that he's not a follower of Christ. Now here's a little warning about us having that type of attitude in our lives that we can find that uh, Paul wrote later on in Corinthians. Look at this warning that we ought to grab hold of so if you think you're standing firm be careful that you don't fall Peter's thinking I'm going to stand firm I will never ever deny you and that's exactly what he did and I'm just going to suggest to you maybe that's what affected his journey his trip to the tomb that morning because as we continue to look at what happened building up to the crucifixion all the other Disciples take off somewhere. The only one we see at the cross is John. He is standing there right at the cross. Don't know where the rest of them are. But he is standing there at the cross. The one that Jesus loved. 
The one who identified himself as the one that Jesus loved. And Peter, on the other hand, and the other disciples can't be seen anywhere in that moment when the crucifixion has taken place. He had denied Jesus three times. I'm going to suggest to you that just maybe that paralyzed his legs a little bit. Just maybe that slowed him down a little bit. Just maybe Peter was not as interested in getting to the tomb as John because the last thing that Peter had done was to deny the Lord three times. Just maybe. So I'm putting myself in his shoes, and I'm understanding, I believe, in my own life, had I just denied the Lord three times, and then I find out the stone is gone, his body is gone. I say, I remember him saying something about destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. What if he's alive, and the last thing I did was to deny him three times? It might cause me not to run as fast to try and get to see him. It might just affect my running to Jesus. It might just paralyze my steps. Because here's the truth, guys. When we allow sin into our lives, even as Christians, it can paralyze our steps. How quick we want to run to church, read our Bible, sing praises to Him, do spiritual types of things, how quick we might want to go to prayer. All kinds of things can be affected when we let sin into our lives. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, that's one reason, whether you understand it or not, you're apprehensive sometimes about coming to church at Christmas or Easter or when someone invites you because you've got this thing between you and the Holy God called your sin, and that kind of makes you hesitant to think that you can even approach Him. Those of us that already know Him, if we fail to serve Him as we should, if we fail to be the kind of disciples that He wants us to be, if we allow ourselves to be scattered like these disciples were, and we fail to serve Him, that guilt will start to set in, and it will paralyze how quickly we want to run into the presence of Jesus. So this morning, it might not be what you expected on your way to church this morning, but this morning, I want to ask you a really serious question again. How was your trip this morning? Peter made a trip to the tomb, and I think he had a lot of thoughts bouncing around in his head as he made this trip to the tomb. How was your trip to church this morning? Did you come with a little bit of reluctance? Did you come thinking, man, I've not been to church in a while, and, and, and I'm just a little bit reluctant to show up. See, maybe you've allowed yourself to shift into the mold of being a Christmas-only or Easter-only type of church person, type of professing Christian. And because of that, when those times roll around, you might drive here with a little bit of hesitation or a little bit of regret in your life, a little bit of reluctance. Maybe you, like Peter, feel like recently, sometime in your life, you've denied the Lord in some way. And because you feel like you have denied Him, you remember some things you've done, some things you've said, some attitudes that you've had recently in your life, maybe you've allowed those things to kind of pervade your life and you 
came reluctantly today because you didn't feel like you could be excited because you understand you've got some junk in your life that you've not dealt with. Maybe the last time you picked your Bible up was last Sunday to carry it to church, and then you took it back home and you put it down on the shelf. Maybe the last time you had anything to do with prayer is hearing somebody else pray at church, and you just kind of listen as somebody else was praying. Maybe you've become a part-time Christian or a part-time church attender to where you think you're checking off what God wants you to do by coming once or twice a month. So when you come, now you're not completely thrilled. You're not completely happy because you've got some things going on in your life that you know doesn't honor God or that you feel like maybe being a wall between you and God. So your trip this morning wasn't as excited as John's trip. You didn't run quite as fast. Maybe your trip is a little bit more like Peter's trip because you're worried about some things in your life that shouldn't be there. Maybe you don't even really know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe that's why you couldn't come thinking, it's Easter, I can't wait to get there and worship. There are all kinds of reasons, guys, that we could let invade our lives. Maybe your devotions are dead. But your trip this morning was something less than what it should have been. Maybe it made you very nervous when you showed up, and right first thing before even the first song, you were confronted with the Lord's Supper. And that might be because you understand you've never really believed in Him, so that's why you stood distant. Or maybe you have believed in Him, but there's some things not right, so it bothered you a little bit. You stood a little bit distant. You worried a little bit. Maybe you've grown so cold in your relationship with God that it didn't mean anything to you when we partook of the Lord's Supper. Maybe you're a little bit apprehensive and worried this morning because there's this thing over here called a baptismal pool and possibly you have received Christ as your Savior but you've never ever been baptized. And you made all kinds of excuses about it. And now on Easter Sunday, you're confronted with this possibility of baptism. I'm just telling you, there's a ton of things. I just want you to evaluate this morning, how was your trip? Did you really come excited and pumped up thinking, it's Easter. Jesus did this for me. Jesus took His life back up. Jesus is alive. I want to get to church. I want to worship Him. I want to celebrate Him. Or did you have some things maybe that kept you from having that attitude as you made your trip to church today. Second thing I want us to look at this morning as we evaluate the impact that the resurrection ought to have on our lives, not just a trip to the tomb, but I want us to stop off for a minute and look at some sights, some sights in this empty tomb. Anytime you go on a trip, you'll see some scenery and stuff, sights. You go on vacation, you're looking for sights. On the way to the empty tomb, when they arrive there, there are some sights that we need to focus on. And what I want you to do in your own life during this part of the message is simply ask yourself, what's my view? What is your view of the empty tomb? Because you may be someone here today and you're thinking, ah, oh, that really didn't happen. Nobody takes their life back up. 
Nobody is crucified. No one is nailed to a cross and they take their life back up on the third day. Someone's telling Fib about it or someone must have really, you know, stole the body and took it somewhere. Maybe that's your view. So I want to convince you differently today if that's what your view is. I want us to look at some sites in the empty tomb. Look at our verses. He bent over and talking about John, the one that arrived first. And looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there. The linen was cloths that they had wrapped him in, wrapped his body in for burial. As well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, and then it said they still did not understand from the Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. But now they're starting to connect the dots. They had heard it. Now a lot of the things that Jesus had told them is really starting to make sense to them. So as we think about these sites in the empty tomb, I want us to begin with, to start with, focus upon this. What was not there, what they did not see. You want to understand what they did not see? They did not see a body. They did not see a corpse. They did not see the body of Jesus inside the tomb. Now, guys, that is really significant for this reason. If you are looking for someone to follow in your life, and if you're thinking about, quote, religions in this world, you need to understand something. All the people that were religious leaders in this world, except for Jesus Christ, you can go to their tomb, you can find where they're buried, and they're still there. But if you will go visit the tomb of Jesus, you'll discover something. He is not there. They made the trip that day and they saw that Jesus was risen. He had told them, destroy this temple and I will build it in three days. And that's exactly what Jesus did. They nailed His body to the cross and that's what Jesus referred to when He said, destroy this temple, I rebuild it in three days. He's talking about Him raising Himself from the dead. And that's exactly what took place. What they did not see there was a body. But what did they see there? What they did not see was the body of Christ. What did they see? First of all, they looked in and they saw all those linens lying there like a cocoon. Jesus' body had been wrapped tightly in these strips of cloth. A grave robber, if you want to try and hold to the to the hope that maybe all this Christianity stuff isn't true and that means you're not accountable to God because you think it's all just a farce a grave robber doesn't come in and take time to so remove the body and lay the strips back in place that it looks like a cocoon why was the cloths laying there? Why were they laying there like that? Here's why. Jesus was wrapped up in these linen cloths, and then Jesus just came out of them, and they fell just like they were. Giving a testimony to His resurrection. Don't miss the significance of those cloths, of those strips lying there. 
The Bible also said this. The cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head was folded. And lying separate from the other cloths. See, don't miss the significance of that because that tells me Jesus left a major sign. What had covered his face in death is gone. And he took time to fold it. A grave robber doesn't do that. He took time to fold it and lay it aside as a sign and a token that Jesus was risen from the dead. I want to give you a side message real quickly, and we're going to plunge ahead into our last point. What covered Jesus' face in death is removed. We need to be careful in our lives and as churches that we don't take things and cover up the face of Jesus. And if we're not careful, we'll make it sound like you don't need Jesus, you just need a lot of legalistic rules. You just need to obey the Ten Commandments and you can make it to heaven. doesn't really matter if Jesus took his life back up or who he is. It's not based upon what he did. It's based upon what you do with your own life. You see, if we're not careful, a church can sound like you work your way to heaven. So we need to be careful as a church that we never cover up the face with Jesus with false doctrine. We also need to be careful as a church and as individuals that we don't cover up the face of Jesus that, that God wants people to see from our lives by our actions and by our behavior and by sin in our life. We need to be sure, guys, that we take anything that's in our life that might be covering up the face of Jesus from others to see. And we need to deal with it. We need to fold it up and we need to set it aside because people need to see Jesus. One last point I want you to get this morning is simply this. They made a trip to the tomb. They saw some signs in the tomb, these signs in the tomb that would let them know, give evidence that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And by the way, if you think that's not significant, look what 1 Corinthians 15, 14 tells us. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So if you're here wondering, what's the big deal? Why do we have to have a risen Savior? Why does Jesus have to be risen from the dead? Here's the big deal. If He's not risen from the dead, we might as well lock the doors of this church and never, ever have church again. I might as well never, ever prepare a sermon for the rest of my life if He's not risen from the dead. It's a big deal. They make a trip to the tomb. They find out it's empty. They see evidence there in the tomb that it's empty. The last thing I want you to notice today is this. The journey from the tomb. 
the journey from the tomb. They run to the tomb, they go in the tomb, they see the signs that are there, and then we can read about how they leave. The Bible tells us this. When the disciples, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. By the way, <laughs> if you were here several weeks back, you remember me talking about the mercy seat? And on the mercy seat, there's an angel on one end and an angel on the other. Does that remind you of something, what we're reading today? She looks in, and where Jesus' body had been, there's an angel on either side. They ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she's still confused about it. They've taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And the instant she heard Jesus say her name, in a way that she had heard it time and time and time and time again. When she heard that, the Bible says she turned toward him and cried out in the Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She understood and realized who he was when he called her name. Now, just a couple of things real quickly here. The disciples who run to the tomb, now they see, and the Bible tells us that he believed, and now they're going back home. Here's something I want you to grab from that, because I have challenged you this morning about your trip to church. Asking you this morning if you came excited, if you came to church ready and willing to celebrate the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, what He did for you on the cross. And I challenge you by saying, maybe you didn't come today with that type of excitement because you had all this stuff in your life. Can I tell you something? You can leave from here differently than you came. Just because you arrive this morning with a bunch of junk in your life doesn't mean you have to keep the junk in your life. You can make a trip to the empty tomb, see what Jesus did for you, see that He took His life back up and He's still alive today. The Bible tells us He's seated at the right hand of God praying for you this morning. You don't have to go away the same way you arrived this morning. You can go to your home differently. I'm just telling you, I think they left the tomb differently than they were when they arrived there. Put yourself in their position for a moment, in their shoes. You go in and you see this. I understand how Peter might have felt. I understand that he might have ran to the tomb with reluctance. Because he had denied the Lord three times. But now he sees this. Don't you think that maybe there's something that changes in his life, and even in the life of John, who ran fast to get there before they leave? Because the rest of this month, guys, here's really what we're going to do. We're going to look at the rest of this month how the resurrection of Christ, His crucifixion and resurrection, impacted the lives of the disciples. They are empowered by what they know. They are empowered by the fact that Jesus took his life back up. They are not worried, you know, 
after they after it all sinks in and they understand what Jesus has done when all of it sinks into their mind eventually about the death burial and the resurrection of Jesus he is who he claimed to be there's no reason for them to be fearful anymore we're going to see this month that this Peter who denied him three times winds up standing up publicly and preaching a sermon on Pentecost not giving a hoot what the rest of the crowd thought or what they would do to him. I'm telling you, the resurrection of Jesus impacted and empowered their lives. After all, you know, and I'll do the same for us. What can they do to me? They kill me, and guess what? I get to go see Jesus sooner. Woo! And disciple after disciple, if you will read their lives, died for their faith, died for their faith, suffered and bled and died for their faith, time and time and time and time again, the disciples sealed what they believed in their own blood. Why? Because they understood that this life isn't it. There's an everlasting life ahead, and Jesus proved it by taking His life back up. It gave them the evidence that they needed to go forward with changed lives and their journey was different than before. I want to challenge you this morning. Don't leave here the same way that you came. No matter what your journey might have been over the past few weeks or the past few years, your journey can change today forever if you'll receive Christ as your Savior if you've never done so, or if you've grown cold and indifferent, if you'll understand that's wrong and ask God to forgive you and allow the reality of the resurrection to impact your life this morning. I think these two disciples went away different than before. And then there's Mary. Let me deal with Mary again. We'll revisit Mary just for a minute. Then we're going to close. Mary, instead of leaving to go on home, she stood outside crying. She lingers behind for a little while. And because she lingers behind for a while, she gets to see the Lord. She gets to hear Jesus call her name because she stays there a little bit longer because she's there crying about Jesus and what had happened because she lingers behind a little bit longer maybe there's a side message there for us people just maybe if we would be so thankful and so concerned about what Jesus has done for us that we would cry every now and then over our Savior. That we would cry every now and then over the relationship that we have with Him. If we would cry every now and then over a lost and dying world. Just maybe if we would linger with some tears every once in a while, we would get to see Jesus' face more often. Just maybe instead of us rushing off to our busy, rush, rush world. Maybe if we would linger a little bit, sit around a little bit, think about Jesus in this empty tomb. Just maybe if we would spend more time pondering and thinking about what He's done for us instead of rushing off so much we don't have time to have a real relationship with Jesus. Just maybe if we would linger more, we would get to hear Him call our name. And we get to see Him more often spiritually in our lives if we would linger a little bit longer Jesus had said this talking about the good shepherd which was himself and his sheep follow him because they 
know his voice. Instantly, Mary knew who he was because of his voice. We ought to know his voice. Jesus told her this. Jesus gave her a mission to go on. The next verse is the last verses we're going to look at this morning is this. Jesus looked at Mary and he said, Do not hold on, to, hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then Mary Magdalene, the Bible tells us, went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary, by the way, Mary Magdalene, a woman of not good reputation. Mary Magdalene, the one that had had seven demons cast out of her. Mary Magdalene, who by that number seven might be a good type or a picture of the fact that she was really messed up in her life. That same Mary, Jesus looks at him and he says, Mary, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to go and tell the disciples this. And the Bible says that she went and did it. And she said, I have seen the Lord. Now that ought to encourage you this morning because you know why? All of us have sinned. All of us fall short. All of us have screwed up. And yet Jesus looks at a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene and he says, I've got something I want you to do. He gave her a mission, and she ran, and she did it. And I'm just telling you today, guys, no matter who you are, what you've done, that same Jesus Christ wants to use your life. He wants to use you to tell other people, I've seen the Lord. I know the Lord. Let me tell you about Him. He wants to use your life. But will you let Him? How's your trip this morning? How was your trip? Did you come with a reluctance? Or did you come thrilled? Sometimes we just go through the motions. I'm not trying to condemn you or look down on you. There have been more times in my life that I care to admit that I've probably just gone through the motions. So this morning, as you were making your way to church on Easter Sunday, were you just kind of going through the motions? Did you have some reluctance, some concern because of issues and things in your life? Or did you come this morning prayed up, pumped up, ready to go? Ready to worship, ready to celebrate. All we've done today is just simply make a trip to the tomb of the disciples. And I think one of them ran kind of slowly because of some junk that had happened in his life recently. That might be where you are. We've gone into the tomb and we have saw evidence that Jesus took his life back up after he died for our sins on the cross. And then we have seen that they journeyed from the tomb and as they journeyed from the tomb, the resurrection makes a ton of difference in their lives because these disciples go out and they change the world for Jesus empowered by the fact that their Savior, the one that they had followed, took his life back up from the grave.
This morning, do you know for sure that you've trusted in Christ, that you have a living Savior? Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And you've believed in that plus nothing, minus nothing for salvation. It's all of God's grace. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with what He did on the cross for you. And you accept in that totally by faith. Have you done that? Or are you still trying to hold on to some of your own goodness, thinking you can earn your way to heaven? Taking the Lord's Supper does not save anyone. Being baptized does not save anyone. We do this because we are showing to other people that we believe in what He did for us. We're celebrating His death on the cross. We do this to show other people that we have publicly decided to follow Him. There's an old person that is gone, a new person that's alive with Jesus. So do you know without any doubt this morning that Christ is your Savior? If not, why not? What better day than Easter? Why not on this day leave here different than you came? So, preacher, I already know Christ is my Savior, but you know what? I'm a little bit like Peter. I've got some stuff that's kind of slowed me down in my life. Why not leave different than you came? Let's pray. You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.